I want a Sue Love guarantee. The dating website. Well, I've been on 986 dates and not one of them has provided me love. 986 dates with actual human women? Hello, and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast where we watch a romantic comedy, typically featuring a love triangle, and try to convince you that the person who did the choosing chose the wrong point of the triangle. But occasionally, we watch very pleasant movies that are the perfect length of exactly 90 minutes, and then we have to do a little creative work to figure out who the other guy option in the movie is. I am Jennifer. I'm Samantha. And I'm Sadie. This week on the podcast, we are talking about the 2020 Netflix rom-com Love Guaranteed, released just days ago, hashtag timely, (laughs) hashtag current events. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're we're trying, you know, we did Keeping the Faith last week and not many people seem to remember that that movie even existed. So is this what you want, listeners? Do you just want us to review the latest Netflix rom-com? Anyway, before we before I summarize this movie, I just want to take this time to personally guarantee that if you listen to our podcast, you and everyone you love will live forever. Because you'll be trapped in a time <laughs> Anyone who listens to it, you will never die. For legal purposes, this is a parodic statement. It's not true. But is it though? Would you live forever if you listen to every episode of our podcast? Think about it. You might. Anyway, this is love guaranteed. So I tried to summarize it first in a single sentence and it didn't go very well, but this was my attempt at it. Love guaranteed is a rom-com about a do-good lawyer who falls in love with an ex-baseball player turned physical therapist who hires her to sue a dating website because he has gone on 1,000 dates without falling in love, contra to the site's promise of love guaranteed. That was the shortest I could get it, but here here are the details. The lawyer is Susan Whitaker, played by Rachel Lee Cook, and she is a beacon of altruism who has somehow built a law practice by exclusively helping the downtrodden and the underprivileged. But lately, that's not paying the bills. And if she wants to bring back the office water cooler for her gay employee, Roberto, and her middle-aged lady employee, (laughs) whose name I do not remember, then, (laughs) Denise, then she's going to have to take on a higher paying client. Enter Nick Evans, played by Damon Wayans Jr., a man who says he has gone on 986 dates through the website Love Guaranteed, but has not yet fallen in love despite the promise of love guaranteed. Susan is suspicious of Nick at first, thinking he's just trying to cash out on a nuisance lawsuit, but she reluctantly takes the case and also gets introduced to the world of online dating herself as ostensibly research and doesn't like what she finds. Where I think we're supposed to imply she's put dating and love on hold for her career for a while, and so she's not familiar with you know, apps and ghosting and emojis and catfishing and all of this stuff. Anyway, together, she and Nick confront Tamara Taylor, played by Heather Graham, who's the CEO of Love Guaranteed, portrayed here as a sort of goop-esque Gwyneth Paltrow guru who dilutes Buddhism into bite-sized inspirational nuggets to project an image of peace and prosperity, but barely beneath her glossy surface, 
lies a cold corporatist rage and an army of lawyers who surround her. Anyway, Susan and Nick bond as they litigate the case. They hold hands over a glass of wine and reheated Chinese food in a scene that is essentially softcore pornography for single white female (laughs) professionals in their 30s and early 40s. Susan's sister gives birth. Then Susan and Nick bond over babysitting her nephew, the the not the just born nephew, the already existing uh, human child nephew. Anyway, Nick reveals in this tender moment that he wants the money from the lawsuit, not for craven selfish reasons, but so he can start a physical therapy wing. Uh, for all the tiny Tims of the world. He just wants to save all the children. But Tamara's lawyers have been busy conducting espionage and they can prove that Susan and Nick have been getting cozy, which would complicate the case. Susan finds out that they have that on her. She gets worried about tanking the payout for all the little children of the world. So she stops returning Nick's calls, but she shows up at court anyway. And then after a stunning reversal of testimony from a character witness, Nick's ex, Ariana, Nick nonetheless tanks the case himself by admitting his love for Susan, who technically he met because of the app, not through the app, thereby decimating the whole case. But it's okay because in the end, Heather Graham Tamara decides to offer them a settlement equal to about half the amount they were pursuing for the children's wing and to make Susan and Nick the poster child of the app that they both seem to hate. And yet they're happy about that. And that was love guaranteed. Oh, also, it was all in Seattle this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you both enjoy love guaranteed? Well, let's see. I I watched it last night and I was waff there were parts that I really enjoyed that were very wholesome and then there were other parts that just rubbed me the wrong way. I mean it's very much like a Hallmark style, you know, like a a, a Netflix rom-com, you know, for adults 100%. But it just didn't make any fucking sense, right? Sadie, (laughs) you love that movie about a priest and a rabbi fighting over a Scientologist last week. Okay, she wasn't a Scientologist canonically in the film, first (laughs) of all. Not in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, that we heard. A Scientologist converting to Judaism. Okay, sorry for the sidetrack, but you love leap year. That part where the car goes in the pond. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) What about it? I, but there was something so like that this movie was trying to say stuff, you know, that I just, I didn't, I was like, this is too much. Also, the no one talked, no one said a single line that they would say in real life. I will preface this really quick by saying that Damon Wayans Jr. slash coach from New Girl, which is what I'll probably be calling him this entire time, was yeah. incredibly hot in this movie because he is incredibly hot. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> he just has a lot of magnetism. Between Rachel Lee Cook's charm and Damon Wayans Jr. just like being hot whenever he came on screen, like that was kind of enough for me to get through 90 minutes. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And oh, Sadie, continue. You finish well, your piece before I say mine. We're not fighting, though. I agree with most of what you've said, actually. I'm just giving you a hard time. Oh, I know this, Jen, deep in my heart. But love you. one of my favorite, I love you too. One of my favorite parts in the movie was when 
he kisses her on the forehead. For some reason, that I I just I was in it for that split I second. I knew that was going to be loved Sadie, it. Sadie yes. Catnip. <laughs> I was annoyed and confused by the forehead kiss. She's not <laughs> a child. She's a 40-year-old lawyer. Kiss her on the mouth like like, you know, like the big man you're acting like the whole movie. I thought it was so tender. If you're the kind of man who will accost a woman on the street about pumpkin spice latte Oh, don't even get me started <laughs> on that fucking scene. I was like, I'm so, so for, I, if a man did that to me, if a man I did not know just walked up to me and started talking shit about my coffee order, it, I'm throwing it at him. Like I'm, act, I'm, I would be so mad. Good. He would deserve it. And then he should pay you for a new one to replace the one you just threw. Yeah. Well, Jen, what did you make of Love Guaranteed? <laughs> Okay, so I watched it just now before we started recording. And I've got to say, I was not really on board at first when Sadie suggested we watch another Netflix original as our last one was The Kissing Booth 2, which was two hours and 12 minutes long. <laughs> Don't call me out as the and one who recommended slog. to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Timeliness. You're keeping us current, Sadie, with your Thank youth you. and vitality. <laughs> so, <laughs> but then I looked it up and I saw that icons of my my own lost youth, Rachel Lee Cook and Heather Graham, both appeared in this movie. And I was curious. And then, more importantly, I saw that this movie clocked at exactly 90 minutes, the perfect movie runtime. So I went in favorably predisposed, where I may not have been before. And yeah, it was like, it was super cheesy and completely unrealistic and read kind of like an adult, like Wattpad fic, you know, in, in mm, many ways. Mm-hmm. Like everybody was definitely a character in this movie, not like a believable human who exists in the world. But that said, everybody was also really hot and wore a succession of nice sweaters and coats and walked around in beautiful autumn foliage in Seattle. And it was pleasant. And Rachel Lee Cook and Coach had a great, you know, vibe and banter, you know, sometimes when he did seem a little bit weird when he tried to be earnest, I felt like mm. he can pull off sexy, but when he's not being smoldering, it seems like he just wants to be cracking a joke. So it was a little bit painful occasionally when coach had to just pull a straight face and, you know, kiss somebody on the forehead instead of the mouth or whatsoever. But on the whole, I enjoyed myself. I was pleasantly surprised. I did not hate sitting through this movie. Yeah, Coach was kind of like dialed down from where you usually see Damon Wayans Jr. And I appreciated the subtlety and the restraint, but sometimes it felt like he dialed down a little too far to the point where it's like, are you there? Like, do you still have a pulse? <laughs> like, yeah, he, it just became so soft-spoken that he started to resemble the like narcoleptic intermittent faster. <gasps> oh, <laughs> oh my first, god <laughs> our first other guy oh no <laughs> who she goes on a date with as research for her dating app and uh I, did we ever even get his name hmm. hang on i have the imdb page pulled up let me go check <laughs> well i want to talk about the movie generally but my my case for this <laughs> other guy was going to be he lives in seattle he's 
wealthy enough to be having evening drinks at Coral, which is not a real restaurant in Seattle. I checked, I googled every location that they are supposedly at. And he is intermittent fasting and like cavemen did, I guess, who, as Susan Whitaker notes, have an average life expectancy of 25. I feel like I'm on a push pin board, like constructing the conspiracy theory, <laughs> like, and it's always sunny. Anyway, my case for him is get with him. He'll inter- intermittently fast himself to death, and then you can cash out on the life insurance policy and save your law practice. His canonical name, according to the IMZB cast list, is intermittent fast. Perfect. You don't even have to learn his name because he doesn't have one. That was one of the funniest lines, or that was one of the funniest scenes, I guess, is at the very beginning when she goes on the date with him. I love that. I love any chance to roast an intermittent faster. It felt, I I was just like, this scene is plucked straight from my brain and thrown onto the small screen. (laughs) This movie had a lot to say it had a lot of skewering of people's weird dietary practices, whether it was intermittent fasting or coach's date who, you know, is one of these people who can't eat anything. Yeah. She did say something about an EpiPen too, though, that you guys have me thinking now about my two quibbles about the humor there, about the dietary humor. I mean, what skewer the intermittent faster, that's fine. But I don't really like when food allergies are made the butt of a joke in really any pop cultural thing because people who have legitimate food allergies have enough shit to deal with without people laughing at them and thinking that they are not legitimate. And then there was just one little instant between Susan, wait, is that her name? Susan, Mm -hmm. Rachel Lee Cook is what I called her in my mind the whole time. And her pregnant sister, when her sister whines about feeling fat. And I was like, why? Couldn't you guys just cut that to the floor? This was a pleasant, nice little movie and you don't have to slap us in the face with like yeah fat uh, some fat is bad sentiment you know or yeah, yeah make something about avocado like did you like after the date was like i don't eat anything and then she slides up and is like oh I'll have a coral burger and fries. It was like meant to showcase like, oh, I'm oh. I'm so easy. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, let me dip my fries in mayo. That was one of her <laughs> eating fries with mayonnaise on them was a like, I guess, supposedly to be relatable quirk. Yeah, that won't play well in Europe. In Europe, <laughs> they'll be like, this is normal. Why is, <laughs> why is this a personality trait? As a plus size lady myself, and also very into rom-coms, I'm just constantly disappointed and I'm just resigned myself to that. But it, it, like, lines like that, especially so early in the movie, it's so, like, like, I watched this with my roommates and we all, like, rolled our eyes at that joke at the beginning with the pregnant sister. And then, because it's just so, it's so, like, 90s, 2000s, you know? And then the whole rest of the movie, I was so viscerally aware of, like, what they were trying to say, but it didn't make any sense. Like, there's a a part where they're making fun of all of the conventionally attractive people that are on the front cover of Love Guaranteed, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, you are Damon Wayans Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook. Like, you are also, like, (laughs) supermodel quality attractive and also, like, super thin and fit and your hair is 
perfectly curled. I thought it would have been so fun if at the very least she dressed kind of like how you would imagine a pro bono lawyer to dress like a little bit more rumpled Peter Falk and Columbo-esque energy. But no, she's just like a super curated, yeah. like Disney, you know, Christmas prince looking, I don't know. So it, it, that was a major detractor I, for me. I would have loved her to talk like Columbo too, in a Columbo voice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wish I, I love Rachel Lee Cook, but I wish that it had been played by Peter Falk. Love him. Rest in some peace. <laughs> Oh, Tamara Taylor, just one more question about <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I have a Columbo head. Columbo heads in the audience will will get that joke. Raise and everyone the roof. else will immediately stop listening to this podcast and thereby lose their chance to live forever. Uh-oh. <laughs> There's a lot at stake here. But yeah, I mean I, the characters were unrealistic and they were archetypes but pleasant enough but also like I don't know I had trouble with it too Sadie with like discerning their motivations like I got major like serial killer vibes from Nick Evans where it's like what (laughs) What are you doing you've gone on 986 dates all we see of you like alone in your spare time is like him sitting in an empty luxury condo overlooking the space needle like he's just (laughs) sitting in the darkness like waiting to be activated like you can afford this ten thousand twenty thousand dollar a month apartment but you need to do this weird lawsuit so you can like afford children's wing. Also, you're just like a physical therapist. Like, I mean, physical therapists certainly don't make as much money as like, you know, like an like a Damon Wayne's Jr. himself makes. So <laughs> I, that was unrealistic. No. And if you're yeah. like volunteering at a community yeah. rehab clinic, you definitely can't afford lunch at the pink door every day, which is an actual really nice restaurant in Seattle that I've been to a couple times. And it's delicious. I don't mean to be judgy, but if you have gone on 987 odd dates, then there is something fundamentally wrong with you. Like it first, <laughs> yeah. the first, the first problem I see is going on three a day. That is bonkers. I was like, this man, I don't know what his deal is, but it is not a good deal. It's not right. Get away from this man. Okay. Sadie, I actually, this was a perfect segue into what I was about to bring up about the slight serial killer-esque, like how can this man be considered a good dude? Like what is his deal vibes? Because since, as we have previously established on this podcast, we are all super terrible at doing mental math off the cuff, I did the math (laughs) in advance and (laughs) calculated via a Google, um, you know, calculator that if he went on a thousand dates and it's at least an hour a day, then he spent a solid 1.37 months on this, uh, just completely dating. And if he did these dates three a day, then he spent nearly a year, a little over 11 months. That'd be a little, yeah, 330, a little over 333 solid days doing these dates for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So if he, if his ex left him two years ago and it took him like a year to get over it or whatever. I mean, even spread out into like two full years so that he can have a weekend off or whatever. That is a ludicrous amount of all day dates to be going on. 
how does he reconcile this with his physical therapy career? Yeah, and he's probably also spending like upwards of 300 to $400 a day. Like lunch at the pink door for two could easily be $100. The breakfast place is, is bougie, but not, you know, it's breakfast. So there's a cap on what you're going to spend. But then Coral, the fictional restaurant, like he, that that clearly seems like a $200 a dinner date kind of place, especially if you're ordering whole bottles of wine. So he seems <laughs> to have virtually limitless resources. And I wonder if you added up the amount that he has theoretically spent on all these dates, if he could have just funded the children's wing of the physical <laughs> yeah. therapy thing like himself. That's a good point because Rachel Lee Cook as the lawyer does point out, she says that a hundred grand is an insulting amount to offer her clients because he has spent more than that on the dates, which I have, you know, I didn't do the math on that. But so he was like a pro baseball player who had to stop because of injury. And now he's a physical therapist. And anyway, that's where the Watt pattery of it all comes in, you know? That's, this is where we overlap with the kissing booth a bit, that somehow this man is enormously rich, writes a check to this lawyer that is going to save her business and turn everything around, and then somehow decides to throw the case out the window at the last moment. <laughs> My <Yeah. laughs> back of the envelope map suggest, suggests he could have spent like north of $200,000 on these dates. Which means if he, in the end, gets a payout from Tamara Taylor of $500,000, he's spent $200,000 to get $500,000, which means, yeah, anyway, this is the part where I'm bad at math. All I'm saying is <laughs> there are better uses of your time, and this is not what the saying, you have to spend money to make money, was was ever intended for. This situation is not what that is supposed to describe. It's like, I know that they were trying to shove down our throats that he was 100% this like, you know, pure hearted guy who had no ulterior motives when he was doing this. But I simply cannot believe it to be true. Because there's no way that you around like the 400 date mark at least, you would start to be like, damn, you know? <laughs> and then like, at what point did he find the guarantee? And then he was like, you know, I'm only 500 away. So I'm like, there's no way that he would do that. And there's no way that he would put a lot of effort into the dates at that point. Because at that point, he's like, I've gone, I've come so far. There's no way that I could stop at 798 dates with this person that I actually do like. Oh, yeah. There's no way. I hate to say that I'm on the, the goop-esque Gwyneth Paltrow person's <laughs> side, but I kind of am. I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. I Here's the, the maddening thing, though, is I would have liked it better if he had been this like persnickety kind of cynical weirdo yes. who had like made a gazillion dollars playing yeah. pro baseball and then decided he was going to spend his time like proving a dating website wrong that I don't, maybe it's just me, but some, someone with a very weird obsession like that, like there's something attractive about that. So long as it's not like a serial killer uh, oh, yeah. Deep cuts. You were a Stewart stand from Kate and Leopold. <laughs> yeah. Like if he had been like, like, I made, you know, I made a million dollars a year when I 
played for the, you know, Mariners or whatever. And now what I do with my time is try to take down this website because I developed a bizarre fixation on like proving this lifestyle gear wrong. But in the end, I actually like do fall in love and have my heart melted. I would have liked that better than it just slowly revealing like that he likes to save cats from trees in his spare time. (laughs) And like, you know, help kids learn how to tie their shoes. And I don't know, all this, like, it felt like reverse character assassination, where it's just like, making him better and better to the point where it's like, can we go back to when he was like a weirdo who just wanted to get a million (laughs) dollars? I feel like I feel like coach our boy coach could have played that role so much better too than he did not know what to do sometimes when he was cast as this super goody goody like yeah Okay, so that's the other numbers thing that I'm always interested in when watching these movies is the ages of the characters. So in real life, Rachel Lee Cook is 40 and Damon Wayans Jr. is 37. And they might have been playing, they could have been playing up to like five years younger, but not incredibly significantly younger in this movie. It was a plot point that Rachel Lee Cook's, in the movie's parents, had taken her to see the fugitive in theaters and she couldn't sit through the whole movie because she was so upset about an innocent man being convicted. So the fugitive came out in 1993. So Rachel Lee Cook's character must have been not only alive, but old enough that her parents considered it appropriate to take her to see the fugitive in theaters. (laughs) And yet (laughs) constructing the elaborate timeline (laughs) of this fictional Netflix rom-com fluffy movies lawyer's life. Only both of these people only have one significant relationship in their lives by this time that they cop to and that coach doesn't even he doesn't even offer up that information. Everybody else finds it out by snooping up caches of deleted social media profiles. By the way, I do understand him being hurt because he was engaged to who canonically in this movie based on our the evidence of our own eyeballs is the most glorious looking human being of all time and then she left him for someone else however like you're 40 and you haven't dated any like I can see the kind of confusion about online dating but how long has she been single she said that she had a serious relationship when she was in law school but then they broke up but when did she go to law school like what happened before then I don't know I realize probably a lot has been left out to fit our narrative into a tight 90 minutes however what is going on with these people's lives she lives on takeout that she pre-buys for the whole week I feel like we're meant to assume she's sunk all of it into her she's sunk so much time into her career that she hasn't dated and that he was you know an mlb player and so he didn't like date really because he was just i don't know touring around or whatever but still it seems like he's been at the pt game for a while but maybe he started his dating website project like immediately post baseball retirement well he's he's only had two years they stated that it was two years since the the beautiful beautiful fiance left him yeah yeah it's (laughs) which like was also we've done so many movies like this where like the guy's trauma is that he got dumped like one time from like one relationship (laughs) and it's like oh wow how can you ever recover from 
being dumped one time. I feel like like most humans are probably dumped an average of like three times. I don't know. Yeah, maybe even upwards. I mean, hard to say. I liked that there was a closed caption, hushed whisper in the courtroom when it was revealed that the ex was not only his ex-girlfriend, but (laughs) ex-fiance. Yeah, they were, they meant that as like a huge reveal. (laughs) My God, an adult man was engaged once before. Like, I mean, this dude could have been through several marriages by now, I think. Like in a more realistic portrayal. But he looked great in the sweaters that they costumed him in in this movie. I will say that. Would it surprise either of you to learn that the movie was written by the writers of a movie we have covered previously on this podcast that I will give you the opportunity to guess before revealing? Leap year. Wrong. Sadie, your guess, <laughs> and then I'll reveal. Uh, um, Falling in love. Yes. Uh, it was? But you said it incorrectly, so also wrong. <laughs> <laughs> falling, falling in, in love. love. <laughs> <laughs> and very cut from the same cloth, I think. You've got I'm, a professional, yeah. busy woman and kind of an unrealistic, dreamy guy and like a old-fashioned tropey scenario it's pleasant to watch but it's not gonna like knock your socks off that's when i was watching this with my with my household i kept like we were like this is like falling in love like it just has that similar vibe of like (laughs) it's not super slapstick in the same way that the kissing booth is but it's not super serious the way that love uh the lost husband another netflix romance that came out recently is it's not terrible but it's not fantastic like leap year is so it's just a little bit of a middle road (laughs) situation and also you're right the guy is like super dreamy although i will say that i i enjoyed susan's character a little bit more than i enjoyed christine million's character in falling in love (laughs) (laughs) thank you for being more careful this time it's appreciated no i really liked susan and rachel lee cook and like she was she was in like almost every frame of the film as an interviewer pointed out to her and something i was reading right before recording and so she really had to kind of like carry the movie but it also kind of made me miss like the days of the big budget major studio rom-com because it feels like this movie much like falling in love was clearly shot under you know time and financial constraints and like i wanted approximately like 1000 percent more like heather graham and you know maybe some location shoots instead of just trying to dress up vancouver to make it look like seattle like all the establishing shots were actually seattle but then every (laughs) scene, you know, for tax reasons, I'm sure was shot in Vancouver. So like, I don't know, it made me miss like, if this movie were bigger, and maybe 10 minutes longer, having scenes from, you know, Tamara Taylor's perspective with her, you know, little like right hand henchman lawyer, like fuming about the case, or, you know, I, I wanted it to be a little bigger and like, head more in that direction instead of staying so cozy. 
Like, yeah, I, it was incredibly cozy. That's a yeah, good word yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, super focused on the. And you know, on that note, I could have also gone with. I would have loved to see more of Tamara Taylor. I don't even think Heather Graham got any direction in this movie. They were just like, make a lot of prayer hands and say a lot of offensive, you know, East Asian stereotypes out of a white lady's mouth. Like, you know. But I think that it also could have been rescued by going even cozier because I would have loved to see more just buddy comedy about the two workers in Rachel Lee Cook's office, Roberto and Denise. And also, I have another contender for a potential other guy who I shall reveal after Sadie makes her point she was about to say. Well, first I was going to say, one, this should have been a Christmas movie, I think, because it already had that, like, it just, it felt weird and off kilter, the fact that it felt so much like one of Netflix's holiday movies, but it wasn't. Like the scene where he kisses her on the forehead, it felt like a mistletoe scene, did it not? Like, it it was just kind of offbeat a little bit. And then second point is that Heather Graham was in Desperados this year as well, which is also a Netflix movie, and she plays the exact same character. Oh my god. Like a white Gwyneth Paltrow goop-esque character. <laughs> is the is it like the same character name too? Is there a Tamara Taylor cinematic universe where like ne- that would be amazing. I want Netflix to do that. Create like a million rom-coms that somehow tangentially bring in Heather Graham as Tamara Taylor slash Gwyneth Paltrow. Unfortunately, <laughs> she plays a woman named Angel de la Paz in Desperados. Oh, no. Oh, it was not a good movie. <laughs> it, this is not the one to talk about, but yeah, bad movie, Desperados. I just wonder if they only had her for like two days of filming or something like that because she was so amazing in the scenes that she had, but like she had maybe like you know two pages of dialogue in the screenplay like ah, i just wanted a little more i wanted more of her offering mountain stream water from southern chile and you know saying fake quotes that buddha didn't say and all that kind of stuff it was it was delightful i i will take any amount of goop skewering you can offer me (laughs) i wonder a little bit if because i you know i haven't been keeping up with heather graham gossip in a hot minute because it's been a while since she was like headlining major properties and appearing on the cover of people magazine or whatever that i was reading back in high school before celebrity gossip blogs started to exist but she was a big early adopter of yoga and stuff in hollywood and i believe i'm not sure if she's still practicing but that she is buddhist that she oh interesting converted to buddhism like as an adult so i don't know what was going on with all that gosh maybe she's skewering people who die who you know misinterpret her buddhist principles and maybe that is a form of her own buddhist practice <laughs> heather graham brings layers to this role <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me she was a Scientologist, so (laughs) I am just relieved. I mean, times could have changed. I don't know. But last I heard. (laughs) Sadie, where do you land on the, would you have rather had it be cozier or would you rather have had it be kind of broader? I I think that, as I mentioned before, as we have talked about, the middle ground is just not hitting it for me. So I, as much as I felt 
Christmas movie vibes from it, I wanted something a lot different. Like, for example, as you said, I wanted him to be kind of a weird asshole who like was setting out to prove the app wrong. And so he was like going through all these dates and, you know, he's cynical and kind of annoying and he's not a super great guy. And then they kind of butt heads because I love that. I, I, I you know, leap year. Need yeah. I say anything else? Yeah. Combative vibes are sexy. I wanted I wanted something a little bit more. And at the very beginning of the movie, I predicted that the sister's husband was going to cheat or do something or something was going to happen with them to make them in any way like necessary to the film. They weren't necessary at all. Like that whole plot line was more or less pointless. So I wanted something wild to happen with that. And it didn't. So it just kind of left me disappointed because I was wanting a little bit more of a shakeup and it never happened. Yeah. So too cozy, maybe. Yeah. yeah, Long story short, too cozy. (laughs) The the sister and the brother-in-law are just like, they're, I guess, theoretically, so they have to leave them alone with their kid at one point so that coach slash Damon Wayans Jr. can be like, I love kids and I love giving money to kids that I didn't give money to because I spent it all on dates and decided that the best way to get money for kids would be to sue Tinder. Um, (laughs) Anyway. uh, Yeah. I don't Gosh, it, it's not that I like resent the movie, but I just like, I thought the premise was so great and, I just felt like with a few tweaks, it could have been something like, like really, really like fun instead of just like, you know, diverting for an afternoon. But that's maybe the problem with Netflix produced stuff more generally for me is sometimes it feels like it's just like, we just kind of want to make you feel good. It just kind of feels like, you know, cinematic Vicodin a little bit. It's just like, don't worry there's no like you know there's no there's no tension everyone is a good person all your coworkers are friendly and love you all your family has a good relationship and you just Which... sit there in front of your tv with a bag of chips and you're like yes yes life is good <laughs> I never understand (laughs) that now with rom-coms, why they're so dedicated to making these overly palatable, sanitized rom-coms when all of the great rom-coms that people keep coming back to are ones that are really witty, like Nora Ephron's movies, and have like flawed people who are kind of annoying, like When Harry Met Sally. They're funny, and they're annoying, and they say things, and they're clever, and they just, they they just, they don't anymore. And that's why it's forgettable. Like it was an enjoyable 90 minutes, but I'm not going to rewatch it. So yeah, or like it, 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 strikes me that there's like this increasing divergence between the like nightmarish late capitalist hellscape in which we all live and then like (laughs) rom-coms becoming as they are produced more by streaming services just like cozy little escapes where like everything is wonderful and perfect and like that has its place like hallmark movies like hit a spot for a reason but like it'd be cool to see rom-coms like grapple more with like what 
modern life looks like in like a serious way, not in a fun, we'll dip our toes into online dating culture kind of way. Like, you know, the Netflix movie, like set it up, I think it was called, like actually sort of approached doing that by giving us two like millennial leads who were like overeducated and underemployed and like kind of hated their, their jobs and were just trying to figure out like how to be alive and happy at a moment where they're both like college educated, like coffee fetchers, you know? I will say there is no way in the universe I would have correctly guessed which film, which other film we have discussed on this podcast was written by the same writer because I had completely forgotten about falling in (laughs) love. Like it would have not popped back to my mind at all. And I imagine that this one will fade away similarly other than maybe thinking about the texture of the sweater that Coach wore in his introductory scene at times, perhaps. But I do I really want to talk about the whole the uh, this character likes babies and the forehead kiss scene for a minute again I'm with you guys that well and maybe that's why I liked the coziness of the the underlings at Rachel Lee Cook's law office because they brought some of the only very minor edge that there was in the movie Denise is like a functioning alcoholic who apparently is sneaking vodka on the job and Roberto is just saucy and married to a man named Don but they had a nice vibe and banter. Oh, by the way, Denise is also Peter Kavinsky's mom in To All the Boys. <gasps> I would not know that, except I looked it up. This must be her day job. <laughs> they are, for the record, <laughs> friendlier than anyone you will ever work with in the city of Seattle. <laughs> One of many unrealistic things about the movie's portrayal of Seattle is how warm and happy and friendly her office environment is. <laughs> If and how anyone, invested her coworkers are in her personal life. If anyone is that friendly to you on the job, you should be suspicious of their motives. Like, yeah. what is going on there? Honestly. Run the other way. That's one of my list of five things this movie got wrong about Seattle. If you're up for some persnickadiness. I'm ready. Oh, I, I okay. want to lead the brigade of persnickadiness, actually. But maybe I should let you do do your list of five first. Okay. Because Num- I'm going to talk for like three straight minutes when I am allowed the floor. Number one. <laughs> Nick refers to her as a bus bench ad lawyer. Bus bench ads for lawyers are very common in Southern California where many screenwriters live, but (laughs) there are no bus bench ads for personal attorneys in Seattle. Not that I've seen at least in two years of riding the bus here. Then again, it could just be a general trope of like, you're that kind of lawyer, right? Number two, Seattle is very hilly which you see in the establishing shots. But whenever we see them like on the ground walking around, they're always like walking in very flat neighborhoods. And Vancouver is flatter than Seattle, which is just like seven big hills on an isthmus. Three, in one of the establishing shots, it looks like they digitally added rain to it to be like, look, it's rainy. Yeah, that (laughs) rain was super CG. Yeah, which you have to do because the stereotype about Seattle is it's like constantly like raining. Like if you watched The Killing on AMC, it was like Joel Kinnaman just like, just like a wet cat for like <laughs> for like two seasons just completely drenched and Seattle drizzles very constantly but it doesn't rain all that often to the point 
to the extent that you would see like big, you know, beating raindrops in front of your drone shot of Queen Anne. Anyway, <laughs> they make a reference to Denny's, which is there's only one Denny's in Seattle city limits. It's kind of a weird misplaced reference because Denny's like Dairy Queen is like a chain that exists more in kind of like conservative areas. And you can actually chart like around the borders of Seattle, the Seattle metro area is like a ring of Dairy Queens. They're like, finally, like we've, we've gotten outside of the liberal bubble enough to have a Dairy Queen. And Denny's, I think, follows similar patterns. So it was weird that they both had like a knowledge of the Denny's menu. And also the walking path that they walk on by the water, just like clearly is not a thing that exists in Seattle, very clearly a Vancouver path. And thus ends my Seattleite complaint section. I'm so glad you went into this because When I saw the drone shots at the beginning, I was like, oh, wow, Seattle, Seattle stuff. Samantha said this was set in Seattle. I can't wait to ask Samantha about Seattle. Yeah. And as he pointed out almost immediately, Vancouver, once again. Yeah, they found, they filmed like scenes that are supposed to be in Seattle's international district in Vancouver's Chinatown. And like, it works, but like, it would be cool to see something shot in Seattle's international district. But, you know, much like it, Atlanta is made to look like every other part of the country. Uh, Vancouver is used as a stand-in for everywhere from, you know, San Francisco to Portland to Seattle. And gosh, I love when things are actually shot on location, which, you know, it makes a movie really have a strong association with a sense of place when you do that. Like you've got Sleepless in Seattle there showing you that if you actually go shoot something, you know, in the marina or something like that, it will become an iconic piece of that city's film history. But it's the age of streaming and people are having to make movies with spare change now. So... It makes sense that people have to take the tax breaks where they get them. So I am, I third the vote for less coziness, much more edges. If I were to have weird Nick Evans amounts of money to refund the entire production of this movie, I agree that Nick should have been a super weirdo who was just trying to take this site down. Rachel Lee Cook should have been way blousier and not always had perfectly curled hair and a perfectly clean apartment. Yes. And had, should have just looked a little bit more wrecked, which also, what a waste of Rachel Lee cook to have her super dolled up all the time as Lainey Boggs in her iconic role in yes yes I'm blanking on the movie with Freddie Prince Jr. she's all that I watched multiple times she's all that because she was already in her baggy overalls and when before makeover Lainey Boggs was where it was at and that's how Rachel Lee Cook should have been styled in this and then the part probably you know I was skating over the where is the money coming from the career wildnesses the everything else that was unrealistic I saw the PG rating on the way in I knew what we were dealing with here but I swear that part where they gave a supposedly hyperactive child a pint container of ice cream and left him alone I was in screaming bed. oh dear god <laughs> 
I hope they never have children together. <laughs> Me too. And thought- somehow he stayed there. Yeah. And wh- wh- what? <laughs> like, I, it made me wonder if the writer of this movie had ever been around a child. The child in this movie, Love Guaranteed, is as to the goat in Falling in Love. Mm, interesting but accurate parallel that you've just made. <laughs> but my God. So anyway, they buy this child off by just giving him ice cream to keep and destroy his tiny growing teeth with and probably also his entire bedding and room with, with his glasses still on, with the lights still on in bed and leave to go do their angsty, yearning, hug way too long and to do a forehead kiss thing. And so this movie would have made like 8,000 times more sense if it would have just had a PG-13 rating. And I got to say, Rachel Lee Cook really did sell that forehead kiss. One time when my friend Lauren and I were watching Thor 2 back in the day, which was a terrible movie for the record, but we were briefly entranced into thinking that it was a good movie just by Chris Hemsworth taking his shirt off multiple times in it. But Natalie Portman's character was looking at Chris Hemsworth's character and made this big like puppy eyed like anyway and Lauren said goosh and that has stuck with me ever since because that is what Rachel Lee Cook's face did when he kissed her on the forehead was extreme goosh but like he just kissed you on the head girlfriend like you want it now like there is no way that two consenting adults at this time would leave it at that forehead kiss when this kid is somehow miraculously staying out of the room so anyway if they would have just like lost all reason and had some insane sex scene and even gotten caught out by the kid what the fuck ever and somehow the opposing counsel had found out about that then that would make a lot more sense for their dilemma in the movie like so the the like the opposite team found out that you walked around the city once together and now you have to like cry and break off your relationship instead of just waiting two weeks until the trial is over and then resuming seeing each other like I, it, it didn't track it did not track the goosh was strong the follow-through did not make any sense the goosh is strong with this one (laughs) thank you for this primer on goosh (laughs) i i definitely agree with you jen that if they had just made it pg-13 and like imagine how much better that scene would be if he kisses her on the forehead right And then he walks out and he closes the door and then she's standing there for a second and then she goes after him and she opens up the door and then he's already turned around and he's ready to open the door again. And then they fuck. Yes. Would that not have been so much better? I rest my case. I would have liked it if it were like they want to, they want to do the horizontal tango. I'll keep it PG. And, but they're like not in here because the kid's asleep. And so they go into her little like beat up (laughs) car and like have sex to Tiffany. They could have made way more use of the car, Zorro. I think we're alone now. And like (gasps) that little red car with no door handle is just rocking. Bouncing, yeah. (laughs) That would have been great. Or put it on a Seattle hill, the car on a hill, and they fuck off the parking brake and we have a little madcap adventure of the car rolling down the hill while they're in a compromised position. That way we make it PG-13, we make it more risque and we give it Seattle authenticity, all the problems with the movie solved in one fell swoop. 
where yeah. is our script deal, Hollywood? <laughs> and then the kid in his adorable, enormous little glasses just peeks out the door like, where did they go? Like, yeah, it'd be perfect. Just his face covered in ice cream. ice cream as, yeah, <laughs> as their car crashes into a Tesla at the bottom of the street. Oh, gosh, that reminds me of my most annoying Seattle story. So many people here drive Teslas uh, and and the streets are pretty narrow and people are often parked on both sides of them. So there's a little bit of etiquette where like you if you're near like a little driveway or a, like a fire hydrant or a break in the you know parallel parkers, you're supposed to kind of pull over and let someone like go down the road, you know, let, let you go by. And I got an, I drive a Honda fit that whose Kelly blue book value is less than the amount I spend maintaining it every year. It is, you know, worth like a thousand bucks, probably (laughs) not even that. And, you know, I'm driving constantly on streets where people are riding around in Tesla SUVs that cost more than I make in a year. But I once was going down a hill, like I would have been incredibly hard for me to back up the hill to the nearest place for me to go when out comes a Tesla SUV. And instead of like, they kind of made these token gestures of like, I'm trying to pull in this driveway. Look, I'm really trying to let you by for like literally 10 minutes. I was like, no, on principle, I was like, no, I'm going to sit here. I'm not backing up this whole hill. You're driving like a $60,000 car. You can pull over for me. (laughs) And then like after 10 minutes of them being like, no, maybe I'll parallel park. Maybe I'll go in this driveway. I was just like, fine. And I reversed up an entire Seattle hill and my little Honda fit between two narrow lanes of parked cars so that this SUV could go up the hill. Wait, so could you not have also like went into a driveway? How does it work? I was not, I wasn't there. I wasn't like close enough to the nearest one for me was way like back up the hill. And they were close to a place where they could just kind of scooch over. Oh my God. Um, But I retroactively want to destroy them. (laughs) Yeah. Not enough Seattle assholes in this movie. You know, everyone, everyone is so friendly to her. The 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 owner of the restaurant loves her. Yeah. Everybody that he rejected was hot and amazing like who cares if that one girl is really interested in cats that girl who wanted a date to the wedding that sounded incredible oh my god and then you would have gotten this soap opera-esque seat to the drama that apparently unfolded at the wedding like oh yeah she was super cool i have no idea what his fucking beef was with her and the cat girl, like they were all like falling over their feet to like defend this man's honor. And I'm like, you went on one date with him and then he didn't like call you back. Like, I- I'd be like, fuck you, dude. I like cats. So what? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my God. If you got like a fucking deposition to come to court and talk about 
this one date you went on with somebody off of Tinder and then they they bounced after and never contacted you again. Is that how you would describe him? I would just be annoyed that I had to go to court yeah. for like <laughs> right? a Tinder date I had two years ago. Yeah. Well, does this bring us to our other guys? <gasps> one hour oh, in. other guys. Slash other girls. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we already discussed and I'm assuming dismissed the narcoleptic intermittent fast. No, he's it for me. I still think she could have cashed out on him. The life insurance policy, he dies young. You make sure you're added to his life insurance policy first. You pour the money into Brita water for you and your gay employee. <laughs> and you live happily ever after. Well, my defense for intermittent faster man is you are an entirely different person when you haven't eaten for 24 hours. Like, you have no idea what this man is even going to be like once he's like a normal functioning person who like isn't starving to death in front of your very eyes. So my my conspiracy theory is that he's actually like the most amazing guy on the planet once he wakes up and he realizes intermittent fasting is just like bad and disordered eating and is not good for you. And then he becomes a great guy. So he's my choice. <laughs> I I can relate in the sense that like sometimes as Susan says you need a sandwich and a nap. I feel like if I haven't had a sandwich and a nap recently enough, I am even less of a charismatic, interesting person than I'm already not. Yeah, you know. Samantha. Sa- a sandwich and a nap is the prescription for happiness. Forget Tamara, Tamara Taylor's, you know, no, no wheat, no dairy, no whatever. If you want to be happy, a sandwich and a nap. Well, Samantha, as if you haven't been my lifestyle guru for a long time, you know, I am completely fueled by sandwiches and naps. So yeah, I subscribe to that philosophy. All right, y'all. So it was strongly implied that our gal Susan, Rachel Lee Cook was heterosexual in this movie. However, we also were not presented with solid evidence on that front, considering that she had apparently only dated one human being in her entire adult life. My candidate for the other guy is the, like, courtroom guard who (gasps) she encounters in the bathroom at the very beginning of the movie when she's practicing her courtroom speech in the mirror. That woman was supportive. She shot a great wink, which she did, like, three times. She said that the basement bathroom of that courtroom is quote where the magic happens and I think that Rachel Lee Cook should have go made some magic with that lady in that bathroom that's my vote (laughs) I much like you in the movie falling in love I forgot that that character existed until now and now that you brought it up yeah I'm down but I'm down for any queer reinterpretation of rom-coms we (laughs) we do do what about what about for um what about for Nick Evans and which of the girls that he dated including Ariana would we go for as our other girl um well absolutely the dad of the one girl that didn't speak the entire date that's my choice for him yes <laughs> oh my god they were soulmates they both loved each other they were soulmates oh yeah <laughs> Um, but in all seriousness, sometimes you, you know, <laughs> unless you want to get serious oh, with it, so, so yeah, 
I was going to say that, you know, the the anthropologist slash social theorist Gail Rubin, you know, once wrote that heterosexual bonding is largely a way for men to establish bonds with other men. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, I think that coach slash Nick Evans could have just like used the marriage as a way to get a really cool father-in-law. Because there are ways in which that is the social function of marriage already in history and throughout time. Yeah, and that girl was cute. She just didn't talk much. Yeah, so he can just sit there and make like shellfish puns and she can just like say nothing and then he can like pal around with her dad all the time. Perfect (laughs) situation. That's just like that one episode of New Girl where Jess falls in love with the guy's parents but she actually (laughs) hates the guy himself and the dad is played by Henry Winkler. (laughs) (laughs) We need to do a New Girl thing one day because there's so many other guy options for Jess. Talk about having to bust out the whiteboard is what that's going to take. Yeah, that's like a podcast in and of itself is like (laughs) going through all of Jess's relationships. We could do like a a March Madness board just for her. (laughs) (laughs) New girl month. What about Ariana? I had a problem. Like she was, of course, like absurdly beautiful. But like, what was her whole deal? How does she have an outdoor swimming pool in the city of Seattle? Like, (laughs) what's going on? I assumed she had left him for well, again, my spouse walked in while I was most of the way through this movie, I think at the scene where they were at the swimming pool and was like, what is going on? And I was trying to give him the rundown. But I was just assuming that if you look like Ariana, and you walk around that like billionaire heirs who look like, you know, like, golden era movie stars probably just come popping out around the edges of buildings and whatnot just trying to hit on you all the time like I don't understand I thought by the house it was implied that she had left him for somebody who was fucking loaded but then again our boy coach is sitting in an apartment that overlooks the fucking space needle so I really don't understand I don't know but Ariana owned her you know cheating and mistakes and was able to apologize but not dismiss it and speak to her own growth and leave him alone to live his own life now. And I just don't know why she doesn't have her own movie. Similar to wanting some more edges to the movie, I thought it would have been more interesting to give more context on their breakup rather than just like, oh, my fault. It ended, and that's all the information that we get. He's perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Like, what if, like, she dated him, like... right started dating him like right before he got his injury or something like that and he like wasn't taking very well to the you know not being able to play anymore and they broke up because of the like tension of that like period of his life or something like that like just a little more like grounding than like we broke up for some reason (laughs) that we're not going to define because we need to leave his character you know Pure and perfect and good. Yeah. <sighs> Cat girl too. Cat girl would have been good. I liked Cat girl. She Cat was, girl was very loyal to him. Again, for someone who only went on one date with him. Uh, like, I, 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 I,
it's not necessarily that Susan's character is bad. I thought that Susan's character was very fun and likable, but it's just the concept of you've gone on 987 dates and you, and there <laughs> was bound to be someone who was similar to Susan. You know, like there's just the improbability of it all. I feel like it's a very <laughs> broad net. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if either you, Jen or Samantha went on 987 dates, you would find like someone exactly like me, you would find someone exactly like yourself, like the likelihood of it all. I, I just don't get it. Why her? What is it? And also, I mean, he he never really necessarily proved himself to be like a super nice guy. I think that that is Damon Wayne's Damon Wayne Jr.'s like his shortcoming is that he's very good in that like coach esque role as we mentioned but he just doesn't do earnestness super well you know he can only do it in short bursts yeah underutilized yeah they gave him like these little lines where he could be playful or add some of his like personality or spin to it and like he he did what he could with what he was given but too much of it was just like Gosh, I hate, you know, not being able to help kids as much as I want to just (laughs) keeps me up at night. I just sit alone in my darkened luxury Seattle condo, you know, just crying a single tear over all the children of the world who need help. And I'm the only one who can help them. Like... (laughs) You know, I don't know. Make him a goofball. Make him weird. Make him more coach, but not too much coach. Yeah, he can keep his wardrobe from this movie and leave the sweats on New Girl. (laughs) Agreed. Yeah, but I think in his place, I mean, I really don't know why he didn't go this route. But if I had been Nick Evans, I absolutely would have accepted a fully paid ticket to Hawaii for a destination wedding that fell apart in dramatic fashion while you have lodging paid for. I mean, come on. Like, I would do that even with somebody who was not as cool as that barista who was offering. And she was she was hot and she seemed fun. And I what, don't know why he didn't take her up on that. What was the problem with the barista? Did we find out? There was nothing He was wrong upset that she just, she wanted a date for a wedding. That oh, she invited right. him to her family wedding. And I was She's like, Hawaii dude, girl. Hawaii vacation. Like, what the fuck? And then apparently the wedding, I think, was supposed to be for her sister. But then the groom left the sister for their mom. I mean, come on. Like, that would have been an amazing story. Like, Coach, you really blew it on that one. Staying home in your photoshopped overlook of Seattle. Just uh, just Matt poster of, of Seattle. <laughs> In your basement window. This is in a strange and magnificent non-COVID-19 affected world where you can travel to Hawaii and you should have done it, my man. Yeah. 2020 film characters need to have more gratitude that they're not all stuck inside their apartments. Oh. (laughs) I feel like we were all kind of down this week. (laughs) I feel like we were all kind of low energy. (laughs) Yeah. We're like, damn. We're getting worn out. September, man. Well, September. I, I, I will. I will defend us by saying that this. Even when I was going into this uh, episode when we started filming or recording, I was like, "Damn, this movie didn't really make me feel passionate in the same way that Keeping the Faith did." 
Like it just, it was lukewarm the whole time. That was my feeling about it the whole time. I was just like, I wished it were different than the way that it is. And I was so excited too, because I love Rachel Lee Cook and Damon Wayans Jr. And uh, the thought of Heather Graham as a lifestyle guru really got me going. I was looking forward to a good 20 minutes at least with uh, Heather Graham. And yeah, uh, I... Sometimes that's the hardest to deal with is not the movies that are really bad, not the movies that are like really great, but have one flop, but the movies that are like getting there, but then just kind of leave you wistfully sighing for what could have been. Yeah. So should we rate question mark on that note? I suppose. Yes, we shall. (laughs) I can go first. And I will give it, damn, I have to give it two Seahawk candles out of five because I, I know that that's a low rating for me, but I just, I, 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 when I finished the movie, I was like, well, this was cool, but I'm never going to watch it again. You know, it just didn't hit. And like, I, I understand that it had similar energies to Leap Year in that it's not like a Nora Ephron, like crazily super high concept you know what but like it just didn't have the magic that that it should have had that it could have had so it's a meh leap year really leans into the wackiness in a way that this one didn't you know if you're gonna be slapsticky be slapsticky oh not to wax poetic about leap year but yeah every movie could take notes from leap year you it's know? true. I think every movie could take notes from Sadie speaking about Leap Year. <laughs> yeah. Saving Private Ryan should have been more like Leap Year, you know? Like, Sadie I want to read why. that Sadie essay. Yeah. Sadie's secondary podcast, Why Everything in Pop Culture Should Be More Like Leap Year. Or, I, Sadie, <laughs> I, would, I would fund this venture personally. I want, I want you to have a podcast called... I learned what's the saying about kindergarten? You like learned everything in kindergarten. Everything, <laughs> everything I needed I to needed know about know. life. <laughs> I looked at leap year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you can just over the course of a hundred hours, you know, unfold all of the life lessons that you've learned from, from the movie Leap Year. It could be a never ending podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Because it would grow and change with you. Like the new insights would unfold all the time. It would grow and change with me and Leap Year. <laughs> there, there are a few Leap podcasts where people watch a movie every day, Sadie, and like they, they like record like 10 minutes of their thoughts about it that day. But okay, okay. I feel I, like maybe that would break you. It would break me. That, there are... I, I respect the types of people that they that those people are like fundamentally that type of person, but it is not me. I if I have to watch even a movie that I love and hold near and dear to my heart, if I have to watch it twice in one week, I'm like my whole week is just like fucked up. Like, I hate it. <laughs> I think it should be, no, Samantha's right. An essay would be good. You really should keep like a diary of like a yearly essay, Sadie, to revisit Leap Year and speak about its relevance to your life. <laughs> we always end up here, huh? The kind of people who do that are the kind of people who would go on 986 dates and sue a dating website. Make him- oh, yeah. 
an obsessive weirdo, instead of having paper files of each date, have him show her like a room in his condo with like all of them on the walls. And she's like, the fuck, but actually like (laughs) kind of gets into him by the end. Yeah. You know what else? Another minor point. What was that part about? I mean, so my name is Jennifer and I'm a little bit on the, the later end of popularity for that name. I remember when Jezebel did that like name that was the top name in every state in the United States map or whatever. And Jennifer just rises like a beast in the 70s and just dominates everything. I think it had slightly been edged out by the time I was born in late 85. But there are, anyway, the point stands. There are a fuck ton of Jennifers in the world, you know? So I'm always interested to see and where he named the Nick Evans character called all of the dates by a descriptor instead of by their names. He was saying... I've been out with 14 Chloe's and like however many something at my both Chloe and Zoe were named. And I was like, where did they get these names? What is this age range? Who are these people? Are there that many like 30 year old Chloe's right now? I don't know. Perhaps the Zoe, a playful reference to his time on New Girl, question mark, starring Ooh. Zoe Deschanel. I will give Love Guaranteed four out of seven Seattle Hills that were non-existent in anything other than the establishing shots of this movie. A pleasant way to spend an afternoon. Easily could have tweaked a few things to make it a kind of a like a cult favorite for me, but didn't quite get there. Yeah. I I'm I'm gonna fall between you guys. First, I've got to shout out once again that amazing sweater that Damon Wayans Jr. was wearing in his early scenes of being an asshole and dissing her pumpkin spice latte. It did look very rubbable. And then he was wearing another sweater with sort of the same texture to it. And I wondered if he was going to wear that throughout the entire movie. Unfortunately, he did change at some point. But, you know, I'm not going to even go that creative with my rating this week. I give this movie three out of five for the three streams that the three of us gave this movie on Netflix because I support Rachel Lee Cook in her production career and I hope this performs well and like is a real bump to her resume and allows her to make more movies and be in more things. Three. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, if anything, <laughs> it proved that like put Rachel Lee Cook on the top of the call sheet again. She has the charisma to yes. do it. Yes, bangs gavel. I, yeah. And I think that Damon Wayans Jr. could be a great rom-com guy as well if they manage to like fit to his character. But I mean, Rachel Lee Cook is just such a good actress. She's She could easily be the next Meg Ryan. I'm ready to say it. I just wish I have a nostalgia for like the day when rom-coms could get like a $70 million budget, you know? And it makes me sad that you have someone mm-hmm. like Rachel Lee Cook who, who could carry a movie like that and, you know, instead has to make small little Netflix movies. Marvel, Disney has ruined everything to tie it into our <laughs> last episode. It's tied into every episode. Apparently, yeah. no. Are we... <laughs> I mean, are, we should do a Marvel one at some point. Is there some other guy, like, um, obvious option for us there? Which is the most rom com Marvel movie? Um, well, obviously, there's Cap and Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, lot of rom, not a whole lot of com. <laughs> and not even a lot of rom, actually. <laughs> um, it's implied, Sadie. It's implied. 
<laughs> I surely Thor Ragnarok, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Did I mention that Liz, our guest for... I, I knew I was going to, like, fuck up on her intro. Anyway, Liz, who was our guest on the... I'm wanting to say when in Rome. That's terrible. No. The Room Helen with Bonham a view. Carter and Daniel Day-Lewis. In Room with a View. Yeah, she was an extra in Thor Ragnarok, too. Thank you to, like Samantha says, everything being filmed in Vancouver or Atlanta. Wait, Helena Bonham Carter was an extra in Thor Ragnarok? No, Liz was, not Helena Bonham Carter, oh, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we live like four and a half hours north of Atlanta, as Samantha knows, having made the drive several times when she lived there. And uh, yeah, Liz just went down for like three days and got put in a bunch of weird makeup and was one of the alien audience members in the Thor versus Hulk arena fight that happened on Jeff Goldblum's planet. Which is Atlanta. Every... <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I probably should have mentioned this on the uh, Room of the View episode, but listeners who are going to live forever by listening to every recorded second of this podcast now know... <laughs> Yeah, to be clear, to get immortality, you have to listen to every second we have recorded and every second we will record. And also, you have to get 10 friends to listen to it, too. <laughs> this is In a true lifestyle guru fashion. <laughs> yeah, we're turning it into an MLM. <laughs> <laughs> Do the 10 friends have to listen to every second of every episode as well or just dip their toes? <laughs> they only get immortality if everyone they refer and everyone that that group of people refers <laughs> also fulfills the conditions herein stated. Not legally binding parody. Uh, <laughs> anyway, well, this was fun. <laughs> We have and to weird. cut. We have to cut because we're going to start talking about Marvel again. Oh, there's one more thing, sir. She's, she's all, all that. that. She's, she's all, all that. that. She's, she's all, all that. that.